message this morning. If not, I ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. church at Corinth at this time was troubled in many ways. There were divisions among them. There was rampant sin among them publicly known. And so much of Paul's writing to the Corinthians were correcting those things or attempting to correct those things. And as such, they give us uh, great instruction about how we are to be as God's people in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And so sometimes uh, these things are instructional. They, they, they're things to keep in mind. But always it is a call to repentance if at any point during uh, the, the reading or the teaching of these words, we find that God's Spirit points to our own hearts and attitudes and actions. And so this morning is the case. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 will begin reading verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up, raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that the he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. God, this morning we sense your presence and we rejoice and we simultaneously perhaps tremble at it if we know what's right. We're thankful for your presence and we just ask this morning that you would guide and guard thoughts and words, that you would keep us humble and submissive to your will, to your text, that we may hear from you indeed this morning. Add your blessing to the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The message this morning then is flee fornication and glorify God in your body. Um, I have need to speak very plainly on some matters this morning, but it will be Sunday morning appropriate knowing that we have mixed ages. Um, there are lines that God's people have too often given in upon. And it's only to our own suffering 
It's an amazing thing uh, sometimes when you talk to people who are unbelievers who were not perhaps raised up in a church and are unfamiliar with a Christian life and, and, and you try to talk to them about the needs of their soul. Many times their reaction is that they don't want to hear about your Christianity because it's a whole lot of don't do this, don't do that, and I want to do what I want to do. But oh, if they and if we could ever understand those things which God forbids are for his glory, but so much they are for our good. The very best thing that we could ever do is to be obedient and to conform our life to the teaching of Scripture, to God's holy word, to his law, to trust the gospel, believe the gospel and be saved. And, and for the rest of our life, live out that faith by being obedient to his word. If at any point in time in our life we deviate from that course, it is to our detriment. Those who refuse to believe the gospel, who do not trust in Christ, will forever experience a torment. Because they have rejected the holy God, creator of this universe and his son. Even those of us who believe, who have been forgiven of our sins, if we deviate from conforming our lives to the patterns and the doctrines of Scripture and we neglect uh, such great blessing and protection and provision that is given for us by God, we do so at our own detriment and we suffer consequences in this life. And sadly so, and it is my prayer, and I, I believe probably the prayer of many fathers among us, that our children would not have to suffer for our mistakes. But we know that sometimes they do because of our misdeeds. So God, help us this morning uh, along these matters and, and any other. Help us this morning that we may uh, do all that we can do to conform our lives, our homes, our church in line with the uh, teachings and the commandments of our God. We will be blessed. Uh, it's, it's, it's been stated another way that uh, God's commandments are sort of like an umbrella. So long as you stay within them, you're afforded protection. You're covered. But the moment that you step outside of the bounds of his teachings, his commandments, his holy requirements upon your life, then you are indeed, child of God, stepping outside the realm of that protection that God has given and provided for you. So again, I say it is to God's glory, but it is also to our good. One of the big issues in our nation and in our uh, uh, society this time, it's no surprise to anyone, is marriage. And we need to stand strong for marriage. Okay? Um, one of the uh, great lies is that the, the, the Christian doctrine, the, the Bible, teaches an unfair, unbalanced, and, and, and hateful doctrine. It does not. There is nothing more loving than telling people the truth of God and his plan and pattern for our lives. But let's make sure that we understand all of it and not just focus upon one niche that we like or especially not one that we don't like to the forgetting of all else. So again, I'll say I'll speak plainly but appropriately this morning. Here's God's plan for our life. Marriage is one man one woman for life. That's it. 
Nothing outside of that is blessed, is commanded, is described, is prescribed, is given to us. Nothing outside of that. That's what we do. Let's go one further, though, because it's not just about actions. It's about desires and intents and appetites. Okay, the Bible addresses both. So let's speak plainly. This morning, this morning, within this room, this house of God, if you will, our, where we meet and worship, uh, I shook many hands. I got several hugs. I got a couple kisses. And that's good. And that's right. And it's blessed. And it's holy. And it's appropriate. But there is only one person in this whole earth that I hug and kiss the way I do my wife. And that's my wife. That's God's plan. It, can, it, it really is that simple this morning. There's only one person that I'm supposed to desire to hug and kiss the way that I do my wife. And that's my wife. So if I'm acting or desiring in that way with anyone else, regardless of who or what they are, it's outside the bounds of what God has prescribed for us. That's also, by the way, if I were to act that way with anyone else, that's what we call adultery. Adultery is a married person acting like they're married to somebody that they're not. Again, we'll keep it appropriate, but it is that simple. It is that plain. And that can be done on physical level as well as emotional and relational levels. And we need to stay away from that. When a person who does these things pretends and acts like they're married and they're not married, we call that fornication. This is God's word to us. And it is not allowed. And it is against his law. It is against his intent. It is against that uh, protection, that provision that he has. And whenever we break these bounds, either way we do that. And we're stepping outside of what God has for us. We're stepping outside of what God has provided for us. Now, in this text, it uses uh, the word fornication a few times. The word in the original Greek there uh, is pornea. That ought to sound familiar to you because it sounds like other words like pornographic. Because that's where it comes from. So this word is very broad reaching. Again, we need to speak plainly about these things. We need to know that all these things are taught in the scripture. And we must flee every way, every possible way that we could imagine. And, and man's imagination is great and vast when it comes to sinfulness. We must flee from every type of fornication, every type of pornea, every type of immorality. Why? Well, let's go back to what is God's plan. Maybe you say this is simplistic, but I, I challenge you to find a hole in it. I challenge you to find where this is wrong. I challenge you to speak against what God has provided because what God has provided is a plan for men and women. One man, one woman for life. Anything outside that. Be it action, be it appetite, anything outside that. It is wrong. It is sinful. It is what God calls us to flee, to stand against, to speak against. It is sin, and therefore it is slavery, because Jesus said the one who commits sin is a slave to it. Why is this such a difficult uh, issue in our society? Because so much 
of our society, so many of the people that we work with, that we live with, that we love dearly, are slaves to the sin. Therefore, church family, the only loving thing that we can do is to stand against it and to proclaim freedom and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus and to hold to God's plan and pattern for our lives, which is marriage. Uh, Pastor Doug Wilson has coined the phrase uh, same-sex mirage, which I think is a helpful term and an accurate one. But let's not forget all the rest. That, that high standard. Remember I said, anything outside of that is what we must flee from. So, that's what the text is about this morning. You say, why are these things so important? Well, first off, uh, let's go back. If we step outside of God's command, his plan for us, we're stepping outside of his protection, outside of his uh, provision for us. But also, you should know, hopefully uh, this is beginning to sink in if you've never heard it before, but I trust that you had before me. All things that we do physical also have some spiritual ramification. If you uh, were at our uh, extended, uh, I forget how long it took us to get through that series on roles of men and women in the home, in the church, and in the community, uh, but spoke extensively about marriage and how Paul said that it is about Christ and his church. Friends, marriage is about the gospel. It's not just about uh, families being torn apart. It's not just about uh, the, the, the terrible uh, circumstances and, and, and pains that men and women are dragged uh, through for fornication, for adultery, for divorce, for so many other things. It's not just about that. It is about that. But even more, over and above and underneath that, it's about the gospel because marriage is a picture of that. That's a picture that starts in the Old Testament. In fact, you don't get out of what is it, the second chapter of the book? Genesis 2, and you find the first marriage. And the prophets in the Old Testament used the picture of marriage to talk about Israel and their relationship to God. As a matter of fact, whenever they turned from God, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, like Jeremiah in chapter 3, said that they were committing adultery and fornication with pagan gods. So if we let slide how important marriage is to us, if we let slide, and yes, I still use the term holy matrimony, it maybe sounds old-fashioned, but I want to make sure that marriage is not something governments on earth instituted, but God himself. If we let that slide, then when we read across these passages where God is teaching us about obedience and about his protections for us and his plans for us, and we read that when we turn away from God that it's fornication, if we don't think that's a big deal, well, then what does it matter? We can just slip right off into idolatry. See, nothing's disconnected in the way we like to think of it. We like to think my sin is just this over here, and it's in a box, and it doesn't affect my family, and it doesn't affect my church, and it certainly doesn't affect my relationship with God because this is just what I'm doing over here. But friends, it's not that way. So it's important. And I'm passionate about it. Because I know many of you have seen much of the heartache that comes from people just never even considering God's will for their life in these regards. 
So let me one more time, just because I just think it's so helpful and, and I just want to ground us. This is God's plan for us. And yes, it's simplistic. And yes, I'm being repetitive this morning, intentionally so. God's plan, man and woman, one man, one woman for life. In action, in relationship, in emotion, in desire and appetite. Anything else is forbidden. And you must flee from it. Now, with that introduction, let us look at our text this morning and see uh, the, the, the case that Paul brings for us. See the ways that he teaches us and he brings out why these things are so awful and why they are uh, so hurtful to us and deceiving to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things, or all things are not expedient. First thing I want you to notice is uh, that opening clause, all things are lawful unto me, should sort of be in quotes. That was a, a common saying among the Corinthians uh, at that time. And Paul was using that phrase uh, that they often said to justify their actions. They would go around and someone would question them, why are you doing this or that? You shouldn't be doing this or that. And they would say, all things are lawful unto me. And Paul refer, uh, re, re, rebounds from that or responds to that. And he says, but not all things are expedient. You see, it could have been, uh, some commentators say, that, that perhaps they picked up that phrase from Paul's teaching in the first part uh, when he was telling them about the freedom that they had in Christ Jesus. And this morning, let me say, child of God, you have great freedom in Christ Jesus. If we were just for a moment recognize how much he has freed us from slavery to sin, from self, from this world. Oh, it's a wonderful and a powerful thing, a life changing thing. So, yeah, we are free in Christ. But Paul says that's not all of the story. You see, they were they were using this this mantra. They were using this phrase and proclaiming uh, freedom in Christ. But what they were really doing was abusing their freedom. They were usurping authority and power and so-called rights that were not given to them. So you can go around and say, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. But friends, you're never free from Christ. All things. You know who, you know who are the most free people in the whole world? The people that have the most freedom and always will be this way. Those who bow at the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now we have, you know, this, this 21st century American ethos. Freedom means I can do whatever I want to do because I want to do it, period. And nobody can tell me any different. That doesn't exist. That's a lie. That's a myth. It does not exist in this universe. You want to try it out and I don't recommend it. Just climb on a roof and say, I want to fly and jump. See what happens. You won't fly. Freedom is found within the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says, yeah, you're free. Yes, all things are made lawful. You no longer have to subscribe or, 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 or you're no longer under the, the hardship of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. You don't have to do all these things. But friends, not everything is expedient, is helpful, is right, is wise. And what's more, the next he, he says it again. 
There in the same verse, all things are lawful for me. Again, imagine that in quote marks. He says, but I will not be brought under the power of any. There's a little bit of word play there that doesn't come across in the English. What they were essentially saying is, I have the authority. I have the power to do what I want to do. And Paul says, yeah, but you don't realize you're not doing what you want to do. You're falling for a lie. Instead of maintaining that authority and that power that you have uh, under the lordship of Jesus as a child of God and you have kingdom authority. That's the phrase we like to throw around when it suits us. But when you use that phrase to justify wrong actions and wrong choices, what you're doing is becoming a slave. You talk about, Paul says, you're doing what you want. It's your strong will and because you're free. But he says, you don't realize you've been duped. You've been deceived. Remember what Jesus said. He who commits sin is a slave to it. Child of God, you've been set free. Sin hath no more dominion over you. There is no rightful claim on your life and your actions and your thoughts and your heart. Why then would we ever voluntarily enter into a slavery of sin in this life? It makes no sense. Paul says, you can say that, but I won't be uh, brought in the power or under the power of any. I, I'll remain under the lordship of Jesus I'll not abuse my freedoms, and by doing so, I won't be slave to those old sins. Galatians chapter 5 opens up this way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why should we flee fornication? Because it's a slavery of sin that does more damage than we could ever perceive, especially in the moment. Paul continues on. He uses another phrase. Uh, if you read there in uh, verse 13, the opening of that verse also was, uh, he was quoting them, meats for the belly and belly for meats. Friends, this is an, uh, uh, an accusation or, or an argument, rather, that is alive today in America. Meats for the belly and belly for meats. You know what they were saying? Well, this is what I was made for. You can't tell me I'm not, uh, not to do what I'm doing because this is what I was made for. This is the way God made me. I was born this way. Have you heard that recently? Bible language, that's meats for the belly and belly for meats. Right? The, the language of that is simple. If my belly is hungry, then it must mean that God intended for me to eat something. Well, that's true. But it doesn't extend to all of our uh, desires, to all of our fallen and broken and sinful appetites. And we must recognize, child of God, that we have those. The extent of the fall of humankind was complete. We don't think right. We want wrong things. And even if you just want to stay at the level of meats and bellies, yes, God made the, 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 the feeling, the experience of hunger to let you know you should eat so that you will live. But he did not design that hunger to be the extreme sweet tooth or the desire to clear out the all-you-can-eat buffet or all the other things that we do when we uh, go beyond what God has planned for us, okay? Now apply that to the rest of your life. Yeah, you have, might have desires. You might have temptations. But friend, you must know that they just might be fallen, broken, sinful desires. I was born this way. 
God made me this way. Meats for the belly, belly for the meats. I beg you this morning, let us let the creator and author of life speak to his purposes for our bodies. Remember the words of the psalm that I read at the opening? How he formed our parts when we were yet in the womb, before our members were formed, yet he knew them? Let's let the one who designed and created life tell us what a body is for, shall we? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We, speaking of those who believe in Christ, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made me this way. No, God made you to desire and to seek after him and to be under his lordship. And by the way, what does he say? Meats for the belly, belly for the meats. And Paul says, but God shall destroy both it and them. If you didn't know this, let this be a lesson to you. When you die, your body uh, uh, undergoes corruption. It decays, including your belly. And in the life to come, there will be no such sinful and slavish appetites. So go around and say, I was born this way. Go around and say, this is the way that God made me. You're completely denouncing the truth of the gospel, which is in the life to come. We won't have those sinful uh, desires, those sinful appetites. We'll be free from even that indwelling leftover sin that's in us. And even now, God intends in this life to conform us to the image of Christ. That's what he said. If these are not the things that will be in the age to come, then right now is the time to start getting rid of them, including these sinful desires and appetites. Perhaps simplistic, perhaps too repetitious for you, but let's go back. Let's define what these appetites are. One man, one woman for life. Anything outside of that. Is it right to want companionship? Is it right to want love? Is it right to want companionship? Absolutely, it's wonderful and it's God-blessed and he made a plan for it. Anything outside that plan, however? Distortion. Sinful. Flee it. It is fornication. Meats for the belly. Belly for the meats. But Paul says, let the Lord speak. He said, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. We were created to worship him. And what's more, Paul says, and the Lord for the body. So let me put this plainly. To abuse the purpose for your body, not even just your soul, but your body. To abuse the purpose that God gave for your body is to spit on the incarnation of Jesus. As he became flesh, became one of us, and lived a perfect life, fleeing fornication. Verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord. We believe that. We, we, we commemorate that by meeting on Sunday. We commemorate that by Easter and proclaiming the risen Christ. But... Not just Christ. God hath raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. The best, the, the, the greatest, the, the slam dunk, the drop the microphone, however what phrase you want to use. The, the bottom line about the fact that proves beyond shadow of doubt that God cares for what your body and what you do with it is an empty tomb. You ever thought about that? It wasn't just the spirit of Jesus. 
The stone was rolled away. The grave clothes were folded there, and they came in, and there was nobody there. God raised up Jesus' body. You know what he's going to do with yours and mine? Praise God, one day, if we're here, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. If we're gone and we're buried, we'll come up out of the graves and we'll be changed to be just like Jesus in glorified bodies. Jesus cares. God cares for our bodies and what we do with them. Let's continue on in the text. It seems to me in some of these texts, when I'm, when I'm reading, and Paul, he's so good at this, he's so logical, he's, you know, he, he was legally trained, theologically trained, and it's like as he builds his case, sometimes uh, when God is convicting men, it's like every new proof that he comes down to, it's like just another blow of the hammer, nailing that in, isn't it? Have you ever felt that way? Well, here's another blow. Next verse. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? This is about identity. This is about membership. This is about belonging. Let's be plain again. When two people get married, they're a couple before the ceremony, right? Uh, unless you're doing it way wrong and you've never met the person, I don't recommend that okay <laughs> you're courting you're dating whatever you call it you come together and then you come to the ceremony now you love each other and by virtue of becoming engaged or betrothed or or you know whatever you say before you're sort of already committed to that person right so there's there's a knitting process that has already begun and relationally you're together but don't miss this there is a change and there is a difference going through the act, making the commitments and hearing the pronouncement that now you are husband and wife. When a couple comes down the aisle or down the courtyard or in the ark, wherever it takes place, they're already a couple, but they leave husband and wife. There's a spiritual difference. There's a relational difference. Right? Back in Genesis, and this is what he quotes here in just a moment. Uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone, right? He created Eve, said therefore uh, the, the man will leave his father and his mother, leave and cleave, right, to the new wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a joining in marriage that is unlike anything else. It's amazing the difference. I said this was about the gospel. Let's, let's take it that, that spiritual step. Same is true about church. All right? Brother Kneeven, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use you and your family as a little bit of an example here. It's a little bit late if you do mind, but that's okay. You'll forgive me later. They came to us. They started attending. All right, what I'm building to, by the way, is there's a huge difference in attending and being a member. You know when I knew that they were going to stick around? Not only were they coming on Wednesday nights, they were bringing food. All right? There was a knitting process already begun. We were beginning to really like and love them. And I think they were beginning to love us. God was working on both sides of that. They were doing due diligence, though. I mean, you know, you come to a church once, it might seem good. They might be crazy the next time you come back. So they did it right. We had some conversations. And it's good. And we love that they were taking. We love that anybody attends. We got visitors this morning. So glad you're with us. Hope you feel at home. But, you know, there's a whole different thing when you come down front and you say, 
I want to be a member of this church. I want to identify with this body of Christ. One of the things you're saying, again, that, that word identify, I'm part of you. I'm not just a friend tagging along, right? How many of you grew up in homes where there was always extra kids once in a while? It's, they were like family, but you still knew they weren't family, right? There's nothing wrong with, with visitors. Nothing wrong. That, bless you. You're honored guests. But it's a whole different thing when you, when you, when you join. I tell you what, some kids have stayed with us. I love it when kids stay with us. And some might say, how can you tell? There's so many already. We like kids. And th this might be some good news, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but uh, I won't spank your kids when they come to my house. Okay? Because they're not my kids. You know, one of the parts of joining a church is submitting to the authority and the discipline of the church, of the brethren, the teaching and the discipline. It makes a difference. I'm not going to ask, uh, as I look around the room, how many women you guys dated before you were married or vice versa. There's a big difference when you marry them. It's a spiritual difference, too. You join together. When you join to a church body, when you're joined to a husband and wife, it's, it's a difference. I said before, there's only one woman in this whole world that I will hug and kiss like my wife, and that's my wife. Now, how wrong would it be We've just been talking. We've been smiling. Some of you have been giggling about this last couple of things because it's a sweet thing. It's such a sweet thing to be joined to a church. It's a sweet thing to be joined to a spouse. And all that's under the lordship, under that umbrella of in Christ. And it's beautiful and it's blessed and it's holy. Now, how wrong would it be if tonight I went over and started acting like I was married with some other woman? That'd be robbing from my wife what's rightfully hers. That time, that attention, that affection, those, all that that's hers. It belongs to her. When I got married, that became hers, and hers became mine. I'm robbing from her and giving it to somebody else. But it's not just that. Paul didn't say, uh, let me take the members of your spouse and give it to her. He said, the members of Christ. Read, read your Bibles again. Look at that. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid I would be robbing from my wife and from Jesus. You think about Joseph in the Old Testament. God blessed everything he put his hands to. You know why? Because he was doing it God's way. God had a plan for him. Joseph was put in a place of authority uh, in, in a rich man's house there. His name was Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar said, you have run of the house, Joseph. All of his servants, all of his, you know, he had power of attorney, we would call it today, completely over to Joseph. Joseph could have done anything, closed a checking account and gone to a different bank because they had a better interest rate, whatever. The only one thing that was not his was Potiphar's wife. Well, but Potiphar's wife had adulterous and sinful desires. You know what Joseph did? He fled. Literally, he ran. But also in his heart and his mind, he fled. And you know what he said? Genesis 39, verse 9. He said, nobody is greater in the house than I am. And he said that Potiphar kept back nothing except you speaking to his wife. He said, because you are his wife. 
Because you are his wife. Because you are his wife. That, that makes everything different. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It's against people and it's against God. One man, one woman for life. Action, desire, the whole package. Anything outside of that. Flee it. Let's move on. We'll be done soon. Verse 16. Yet another argument. Yet another proof. Yet another showing us of what, uh, how inconsistent this would be for God's people to do these things. He said, what? Uh, uh, know you not that which is joined to a harlot is one body? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just spent all of time with uh, verse 15 talking about what a pleasure and what a great thing it is and how special it is to be joined to one wife or one husband and to be joined to a church. And Paul says, sadly, not only is it robbery, but now you're identifying with that person. Now you're becoming, in a twisted way, joined to that person. And it's not by the way that it's a harlot. The person actually becomes that when they do this in a manner of speaking. The point is you're robbing from Christ. You're robbing from your spouse. You're stepping outside of God's uh, prescribed and commanded plan for us. Verse 19. One more argument. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own? Ask yourself this. How many bank robberies have ever taken place this way? A person pulls up outside the bank and says, My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He shall grant to me all that I need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now let's go rob this bank. Doesn't happen. How many instances of adultery and fornication do you think happen this way? My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. The holy God whom the heavens could not contain. Yet he condescended to become flesh. And what's more he placed his spirit inside me. My body is a place of worship. And is dedicated to the Lord Jesus. If we keep that in mind. How often do you think we will step outside of these bounds? Won't happen. Won't happen. The temple, the sanctuary, the shrine. The holy spirit is present within you child of God. All right, one more. And this is, I think, for me, both the death nail on the, on the negative and also the hope of the gospel, all in the same, same phrase. Read with me verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Let's just stop there. Remember how I said it's a lie and it's a myth that you can do what you want to do and nobody can tell you what you want to do? Even beyond that, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. What was that price? Do you remember? Do you remember what the price was that purchased your body, soul, mind, spirit, heart, life, desires, choices, actions, every bit of it? Do you know what that price was? It was God Almighty. Leaving the pleasures and the comforts of his throne to be born to a virgin. To live a life of complete obedience on your behalf. Because knowing that you and I would not. 
and by the way, fled every fornication, fled every temptation, never uh, went against God's law. And by the way, that price includes him being ostracized, him being falsely accused, him being called horrific names, him being spat upon, him being stripped naked and shamed in public, him being beaten and whipped and ultimately nailed to a cross where he gave up his life. The price that purchased you, child of God, was that he hung there, that he gave up the ghost and a spear was thrust through his side wherein blood and water poured out. That is the price that was paid for you and it was more than enough. Your life is not your own. It's not up to you and it's not up to me to do what we want to do. It's not our life anymore. We don't have the right. That's it. There's, there's, there's nothing heavier than that. Whether we're talking about these issues, whether we're talking about other sin issues, you don't have the right to participate in sin, child of God, because you were bought with Christ and your whole life belongs to him. But you know what's cool? Those same words which are just... just Damning for all who are in sin. Read them again. You're bought with a price. That's the gospel. Not only is it the, 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 the heaviest and the last and, and, and just the, the absolute death blow to any uh, uh, thought of just doing what we want to do and taking what we want to take. No, because you're bought. But my friends, it's also the best news you've ever heard your whole life. You have been bought with a price. It was paid. And matter of fact, three days later, after he hung on the cross, just to make sure that the whole universe knew that it was paid in full, he came up out of the grave by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. That means there's escape for you. That means there's forgiveness for you. That means that you can change all that belly for the meat and meats for the belly. Well, it's just the way God made me. How about this? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. You know what that means? You know what that means? We don't have to sin. God will give us power to flee temptation, to overcome sin. That means that God is with us. And that means if we look up earlier in this same chapter, before the reading that I read this morning at the beginning, verse 9. This is the description of the people who are members of the church at Corinth. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The first phrase of verse 11, and such were some of you. The past tense of that verb means a great deal. Paul did not say some such are you. He said some such were you. You've been bought with a price. It has been paid. All that is required, everything that you need, child of God, is available to you at your request from the Father. 
You say, well, I don't know what to do. He gave a book. <laughs> Dare I suggest we read it? There's enough of thought. He gave us his Holy Spirit living inside us to confirm with us and assure us that we are his children and to lead us into all truth. He said, greater is he that is in you, that Holy Spirit that makes our body a shrine and a temple, than he that is in the world. You were bought with a price. And it was more than enough. So the command this morning to flee fornication, to glorify God in your bodies. Oh, it's a strict command and it's a heavy command and it's a damning command to some of us. But there is gospel, there is forgiveness, there is freedom from that sin. We do not have to voluntarily make ourselves slaves to it. That's the best news I have ever heard. So yes, this is a big deal. We must, for our conscience sake, for our children's sake, for our society's sake, and for our God, stand for biblical marriage. One man, one woman, for life. And that is about the gospel. We must flee fornication in every form. Anything and everything outside of God's blessed provision of one man, one woman, for life, in activity, in relationship, in desires and appetites. Because Jesus has purchased us. By the price of his own shed blood and broken flesh, we can find forgiveness and healing and enabling through the Holy Spirit. Let us flee fornication. Let us glorify God in and with our bodies and our spirits, both of which are God's. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, this morning, Lord, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you for forgiveness of sins. And Father, we just ask you. We ask your help, we ask your strength, we ask your wisdom, dear God, in these matters. That our lives may proclaim that which you have commanded, that which you have taught, and be examples of those who realize we have been bought with a price. In the holy name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let us stand and sing praises to our great God who has purchased us with his own body and blood. And if there be any among us who through today's preaching has been awakened to your sinfulness and you are being drawn. I urge you now, seek Christ for the saving of your soul. Let us praise God. Church. 339. 339.